This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Warden, who has covered Oregon State Athletics since 2013. Hi again, everybody, to the Beaver Tales Podcast and another baseball edition of the podcast. I'm Josh Warden as I go through many of the players from the 2018 Beaver Baseball Championship squad as I continue to work on the audio documentary of that 2018 College World Series. Our first pitcher on this podcast, it is Dylan Pierce, a native of Southern Oregon, Central Point, Oregon, to be specific, a Crater High School graduate, came to Oregon State actually as a junior, was pitching at the junior college ranks, went to Southwestern Oregon Community College, for a couple of years, was not recruited, came on as a walk-on at Oregon State, then ended up pitching 25 times, made 25 appearances at OSU in 2018 on that championship team, pitched twice in the College World Series, and then left after the 2019 season when he continued to improve and played for the Beavers one more season and then got drafted in the 31st round by the St. Louis Cardinals. So he's one year into his professional career. We talk about pro baseball and the minor league affiliate of the Cardinals he plays for in Tennessee, as well as his MMA experience and his memories of the College World Series and an interesting story about Game 3 and what was going on as Kevin Abel was dominating Arkansas to win the national championship. This podcast is also meant to benefit charities, and today's nonprofit is Food for the Hungry. You can sponsor a child from anywhere around the world. Your gift of $38 each month will bring hope and a future to your sponsored child's life and community. Through sponsorship, you can help assist the child's entire community to provide food, a better education, clean water, and medical treatment to its children. More information available online at fh.org. That's Food for the Hungry and their website, fh.org. This will be a fun conversation with Dylan Pierce. I actually talked to him more than a month ago, and it took me a while to release it. There were just some other more pertinent conversations of episodes that I had later that I wanted to release first, and then there are so many baseball guys. I'm trying to split it up with other sports, but at the end of the day, even if we go a couple baseball guys back-to-back, he's just got a good enough story. I had to put it out there, and I hope to get more softball players, gymnasts, soccer players, and, and other sports represented more as we go along. But here is Dylan Pierce, a five foot nine right-handed pitcher, now playing for the St. Louis Cardinals organization, and he joins me on the Beaver Tales podcast. Dylan Pierce is next up on the Beaver Tales podcast. Dylan, a little bit south of here in Oregon. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to talk with you. You're the first pitcher I'm getting on this podcast, and you are um, moved on to the professional ranks. You just turned 23 at the beginning of May, and you've played one kind of short season of rookie ball in Johnson City, Tennessee, in the Cardinals organization. What's pro ball like so far in your first taste of playing baseball after college? You know, it's exciting. Um, it's something I always wanted to do, and I, you know, I, it's something I always knew I could do. It's a lot different than uh, college ball, which you would you would think it kind of wouldn't be because most of the guys that are kind of in that section of rookie ball all are fresh right out of college. But you know, the brotherhood and everything that I had at Oregon State, um, you just can't compare that to any anywhere else at all. So, had you heard of Johnson City, Tennessee, before moving there? I have actually, yes, I have um, one of my buddies um, that actually he went to University of Oregon. He got drafted by the Cardinals as well, and he played in Johnson City. So I kind of knew where it was. I've heard it uh, a couple times, but never really thought that that was, you know, like where I would end up. So 
I'm impressed. I had, I had not heard of it. What is there to do for fun if you're hanging out? A, you got a day off, there's no game, and you're in Johnson City. Uh, well, honestly, we I think we only had like three days off the whole entire summer, so we didn't really have much to do. But, you know, there's uh, there's some lakes you can go fishing at. It's really pretty. It's actually similar to Oregon in, in you know, a sense. But there's not there's not that much. I mean, a lot of the guys, they go out and, you know, they'll party or hang out. Um, I honestly, I just wanted to try the food. I was more excited to try the the Tennessee barbecue that everybody kept talking about. So I would just kind of go and try out different places or, you know, walk around. There's some pretty scenery there. So that's honestly just what I did, but not, not too much. I guess if you don't know it, then, uh, you know, then you'll be kind of stuck. But once you've gotten to pro ball and you're working with new pitching coaches, new coaches, new guys working with you, what, what have been what the Cardinals are telling you in terms of developing pitches how you know if they've said hey we want you to work on a new pitch you didn't have in college or anything that they've changed about your skill set um no not really actually um they I mean in development they just kind of want to make sure that all of their pitchers do the same thing um as far as like their their fielding work and stuff but they didn't try and change really anybody's like pitches they didn't try and like add anything or change it they just kind of wanted to see what you can do in the off season is when they wanted you to kind of change some stuff and I had a meeting with the pitching coaches and the development coordinator and they just said they're like we don't see you needing to develop any sort of your pitches at all they're like if anything they're like just trying to add some weight and I think that's what we can kind of best help you because we can get you bigger. That was for me something that I needed to do in the off season was really get bigger and stronger, and that's what I ended up doing. That's where that Tennessee barbecue comes into play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, we had that pretty much every single day, so <laughs> it was uh, it's kind of difficult sometimes. I mean, after like I don't know the eighth, ninth day in a row of literally eating barbecue pork and chicken, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I'm <laughs> I'm going to be the wrong kind of big, you know? <laughs> yeah. As far as what you'd experienced so far in pro ball, especially with where you started in college, you played at Oregon State, but your first stop was at Southwestern Oregon Community College. So to, to go from the junior college ranks to professional ball, and granted, it's not the big leagues, it's only rookie league, but still to imagine where you were at at Southwestern Oregon, I think. I play it for a community college now, but I'm going to play pro ball. If you knew it then, or maybe you would never have expected it then, but could you describe how crazy it might have seemed a few years ago when you were playing for a community college to realize you were going to go pro? Yeah, you know, I, I always knew that I was good enough to play professional baseball, and I just kind of had that bulldog mentality that, you know, no one's going to get in my way. And I tried to push and push, and each year it seemed like I would get closer and then something would change. But deep in my heart, I, I felt that I was going to play professional baseball. But it still is cool now to see where uh, I'm at and to look back and kind of see the roads that I've traveled down and that I've, you know, had to work really hard to get where I'm at and, you know, hit each step. Most people can't really relate to a lot of guys, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm young. I've, I'm playing at a smaller junior college. And it's like, you know, I, I went to, you know, us, you know, my high school wasn't a big giant high schools, you know, relatively, it was just a moderate size and then went to a very low level ranked JUCO and then ended up walking on to, you know, didn't have a scholarship or anything, walked on to a D1 and played there and, then got to get drafted. So it was, it was exciting to see that I've been through each of those steps. You've kept it going and playing in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Hopefully that lasts a long time and you're playing pro ball for as many years as you want to. Whenever that does end, 
with your sociology degree and your passions, what's a hope for what life might look like after you retire from baseball? You know, I'm honestly not quite sure right now that the baseball is, is my, uh, that's just my, my goal is to, to be up to the big leagues. I know I'll be there eventually, but you know, afterward, I haven't really put too much thought into it. I've, I've glanced around at some stuff and I, I've always thought about coaching or getting into like a development director kind of thing. I'm a big outdoorsman. I love to fish. I like, I like to hunt and be outside. And, you know, I've always wanted to do stuff, um, you know, getting kids out there and getting them fishing and being outside. You know, most, most kids, they, they want to bury their face in their phone or their TV and they want to play video games all the time. And my, my video games outside, I like to go out and fish and spend my free time being out in the outdoors. So it's kind of something that I've thought about. You may not know what you'd like to do, you know, 10, 15 years from now, maybe the more important topic is what type of person you want to be. So although you're only 23 years old and you've got a lot of life ahead of you and a lot of growth ahead of you and life lessons to learn, at least at this age and what you what impact you hope to make post-baseball and whatever area that is and what, what relationships you'll have continuing at that point. What sort of person do you want Dylan Pierce to be throughout your whole life, whether you're playing baseball or not? You know, I, I just want to be the humble and influential person, someone that has hit each road and had to work extremely hard and be very diligent um, and couldn't be complacent in all the, you know, the ways and the roads that I've kind of traveled down and, you know, just be someone that someone can look up to and go, hey, he started at the absolute bottom and has worked his way all the way. A lot of the guys, you know, they'll go from a bigger high school and then get a big scholarship to a big school. I came out of uh, not even knowing if I was going to play baseball. You know, I actually trained in MMA for years and was a route that I was going to go down and start training and then hopefully go down the fighting realm and I didn't have really anybody look at me for ball at all until the very end of my senior year. I got a call from a small JUCO and just kind of to work from kind of to work from that. And I'm like, okay, someone's kind of interested, but that one fell through. And then in the summer, early summer of my senior year, I finally was able to get a um, scholarship offer from a smaller JUCO, which I ended up taking. But I just want to be the person that people can look up to and go, you know, he's inspirational and humble and, and all that he does. And that's just kind of the person that I want to be. How much training did you do in the MMA field? And did you do any competitions? Or was it all just gym work? All just gym work. Um, so a lot of the training that I would have had to do there, it would have been a big conflict in baseball because the training there is so much different than baseball training. So my training was more like lighter sparring and stuff, um, ground technique, stuff like that, jujitsu stuff with my dad. Um, that's the kind of stuff I trained in. And, you know, I would have to do, I, I did baseball. Baseball was what took up all my time. So MMA training wasn't able to get all of my attention, but that was the road that I was going to go down, which not too many people know. Most of my friends and closer friends know, but not a lot of people kind of would think that I would be that kind of person. But you know, I, I've done that ever since I was a little kid and I've worked all the way up to it. And, you know, it was, it was kind of exciting. I'm like, you know what, I guess this is the road that God wants me to go down. He's, you know, baseball isn't really opened right now. So let's see what we can do. And, you know, shortly thereafter baseball, you know, came knocking and I was like, all right, let's, you know, that's going to be it. So was it mostly in high school leading up to going to JUCO when you're doing the MMA training? 
Yeah, all through high school. And I still, I still do stuff, you know, every now and then just lighter with my dad. Um, nothing too crazy. Um, but you know, now that I do this, it's, you know, that's, that takes all my attention. All my, my work is, is dedicated to just baseball. And, you know, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours on, you know, baseball training and MMA training since I was a little kid all the way up, you know, just to excel because of my size and, you know, being a smaller guy, I had to do a lot more than, you know, the other kids. So. So let's say there's a benches clearing brawl in the middle of a baseball game and you and this other team are going at it. What's your go-to move to take down? Uh, you know, honestly, I'm actually, and most people, um, you know, could say that I'm actually kind of a laid back person. I'm not the, oh, I, you know, I train and I do this, so I'm going to throw it in your face and let's fight. Like, I'm not that kind of guy. Um, I only kind of do it if I, you know, if it's an absolute situation, but you know, <laughs> I mean, that's actually a funny question. You know, um, I, I honestly don't, you know, don't quite know. I think honestly, I would probably just kind of make sure no one else was getting hurt if something like that happened. But you know, if one of my buddies was getting, you know, welled on or something, you know, then I, it'd be a different situation, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I would not be the first person to just go bum rush somebody and <laughs> do anything. So. That's respectable. The better you get and the more powerful you are, the more responsibility you have to not just beat someone up because you can. <laughs> no, not not that. And I, and I grew up having that, you know, everyone was like, oh my gosh, you know, like this guy could beat you because he's bigger. And I, I've always heard that the bigger, bigger side, bigger side. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> not even getting into that. I've, I've, you know, kind of proved it time and again that size does not limit you at all um you know i try to tell anybody that what and whatever they do doesn't matter whether they're fighting playing baseball you know school anything it does not matter your size is you know your heart and how hard you want to work so was there ever a moment at oregon state i can't think of seems to happen less in college there weren't really many brawls in an oregon state game right whether it was there ever a getting close to that um, there was a few times where we had some guys like when we kind of we hopped over the fence and like kind of like started walking out and then we got we got immediately pushed back in the dugout. You know, there's it was just some some lighter stuff, some immature stuff that just shouldn't have happened. And, you know, we kind of hopped up and we're like, hey, you better not be doing what you're doing. And then we just our coaches immediately were get in the dugout, get back in there and. So that's, that was the extent of, of that. So. Gotcha. Well, as we transition kind of talking more about Oregon State and your baseball career there, when you came to OSU, how much did Nate Yeski kind of recruit you and was the first one to really build that relationship? Was it more of Pat Casey, especially with the recruitment process and then the kind of the transition your first year there? Who did you spend the most time with? You know, so it's actually kind of an interesting story with uh, with that. I never actually had them recruit me. They didn't come and watch any of my games. They didn't watch any of my stuff. I actually have at Southwestern Oregon, there was a catching coach who was there that knows Pat Bailey, um, the associate head coach personally is a good friend of him. And he knew that Oregon State was my dream ever since I was a little kid. I've always wanted to play for the Beavers. And, you know, I told him that I'm like, my goal being here is to just make it to OSU. I will do anything I have to. And, you know, he told me, he's like, Hey, I, I know coach Bailey's like, if I see you work hard enough and I see something out of you, he's like, I'll, I'll put in a word. And my sophomore year I did, he emailed him. Bailey just said, okay, here's my contact, give it to him and have him contact me. I did kind of just went from there. He asked me, he's like, could you throw a, a bullpen and like film it on your phone and send it to me or something? And I was like, 
sure. So I, you know, it was wintertime, freezing cold. We went to a small little building and I threw a small bullpen at my dad, film it on my phone. And I just took that clip and sent it to him and him and Nate Yeski watched. He asked me to come up on a little unofficial visit one day and we just talked. He was like, well, he's like, hey, I definitely think you have the stuff to be here, but it's up to you. He's like, we don't have anything for you. We're not going to be able to give you a scholarship, but we will have you as a preferred walk-on if you want to try and walk on. And just given that opportunity, I I shut down every other school that tried to contact me and, and said, I'm going to Oregon State. And, you know, that was it. They never came to a game, though. They never watched me play. They'd never seen anything at all. He just asked me that after each time I started that I just text him what my stats were. And I was like, OK, so I, I did that. And that was that was the extent of it. So to go from the one connection you have is an iPhone video through a secondary connection to the associate head coach to then you're pitching multiple times in the College World Series, how much emotions were there or nervousness when you step on the field against North Carolina in Omaha? You know, um, actually, most people would say that. Uh, I have been in a lot of like high pressure games and stuff I've started down here for and and nothing quite like that I can't actually say that it's it's been that big because I've never pitched in front of a crowd that was that size I mean the biggest crowd that I had thrown in was probably 7,000 people six to 7,000 people and then you know you jump from that to 20,000 it's like oh my gosh so but they had prepared me very well Um, I've been in bigger situations like high pressure situations that I I felt calm, but, you know, coming into the College World Series the first time to throw against North Carolina, I was just more, I was just ecstatic. I, I felt great. I remember jogging out to the mound for the first time and just like my heart pounding going, man, like, you know, you did it. Like, this is, this is what you dreamed of. This is what you always talked about is, is being here. And it was just an honor. You know, stepping on the mound for the first time, he just handed me the ball and it just felt, it felt right. It felt great. And, you know, I just need to go out and do my job. So nerves honestly didn't really freak me out as far as fear just excited me like this is what you've dedicated your life to now go out and and do your job so you get to pitch in Omaha and you're playing for the school you're passionate about the school that you were a fan of from the beginning you've got beaver gear on right now and the national championship poster behind you so it obviously is a very long-standing development and, and passion you have for OSU part of that is is the school you went to but then once you get there you've got all the teammates and the guys who you may not have known who who would have played there when you were 15 and wanted to play for the beavers you wouldn't know who your teammates would be but now that you're with them you start to develop those relationships so let's say let's keep it with Omaha for example and say that Washington game where you spent a four and a half hour rain delay in the locker room. What sort of things were you doing with your teammates and the relationship that you had with them? What were you doing and hanging out with them as you're in Omaha and waiting to hopefully make a comeback and avoid elimination? Yeah. So, I mean, when we got into, uh, we got back into the locker room and everything and it was just kind of where we were all hanging out and, Remember, we we did have a talk as we were down. You know, we just all kind of came together and we're talking about, hey, when we come out for the second half, the beeves are showing up. We're we're down already, but this isn't going to stop us. There's it does not matter whether there's a rain delay or not. We're going to come back out playing our game. Stay focused, but remember, have fun. This is why we're here. You know, after that, the mood lightened up. We were laughing and having fun. We were playing mafia for hours, and it was it was just a great time. I know some of the guys were kind of taking naps. I was taking a nap. The one thing I do remember is because of it in Omaha, because of the humidity, they have the temperature in that 
room set to freezing. I mean, it is so cold. I remember we, like me and Caden Grenier were actually like sitting there out, out in the hallway, like out in like the corridor because it was somewhat warmer, just eating our lunch and just kind of sitting there. And we were sitting there talking and, you know, it's it fun. Just I have special moments with all the guys that were there and all my teammates. And there's there's nothing I have ever, ever had that's even compared to it. So. I've played a couple different types of mafia. Is this the card game one or the one where you get the lights off and you're searching for people around the room? Uh, kind of. So it's, um, I mean, you don't need to have lights off or anything. Actually, we all just kind of sit there and it's say, uh, you know, it's like, you gotta pick the mafia. So you have all the guys, you know, with their head down, you have the guy who kind of rules the whole game and he's the one who picks everybody and he'll have, you know, your heads down. He'll pick a few guys to be in the mafia. He'll pick the towns, people pick the sheriff, the doctor, and, then, you know, tell everybody, you know, heads up, you kind of look around and then he'll have the mafia pick who's up. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that game, but it's, it's fun. You may have played multiple times, but do you remember which teammate or if it was you won mafia in that rain delay in Omaha? Uh, actually a lot of the guys. So it's actually not just, a, it's not a specific person that wins it. It's either the mafia wins it or like the townspeople win. It. It's kind of just 50, 50, but right, right. I mean, I remember all, it, it gets pretty heated. You know, all the guys, they take it it's seriously and it's so fun and it's funny. It's funny to kind of watch the guys and how serious they, they take it. But a couple times the moth won, a couple times the townspeople won, but it was funny. Honestly, I really enjoyed, honestly, even, even if I wasn't playing, it's just fun to watch. Yeah. It's coming back. It's been a while since I played, but you're right. It's it, it'll get uh, it tribal a little bit, <laughs> oh, picking yeah. sides, and it does. so you come out and you you come back in that game and beat Washington. You stay alive. You get a chance to play North Carolina again since it's double elimination. So you've got one loss, and you play them a second time, trying to get revenge. You again pitched against North Carolina. So, but your two appearances in the College World Series were both against North Carolina. You only threw three pitches in that second appearance, but you got the out in that second game, although you were down six to three as a team. So tell me about that one at bat, but also kind of the larger storyline going on where were you worried at that point? Because even if you get them out and do your job, you're still trailing by three in an elimination game. So where were you at in that moment? You know, just to start from the point of trusting my team, I've never seen a team like the 2018 team that you could just never not rely on them. They were so clutch in every single moment. It could have been the bottom of the ninth with two outs and we could have been down by 10. I would have trusted that we were going to come back. We were so clutch in every moment. I mean, we had, in my opinion, in the 2000s, I think that 2018 lineup was the deadliest lineup of any college team, not even close, second to none. And I mean, you have Stephen Kwan leading off, then, you know, we have like Nick Madrigal and Caden Grenier, Trevor Larnick, Adley Rutschman, Kyle Novak, all those, all those guys, Zach Taylor, you know, so many guys that were in that lineup that were just clutch all the way from one to the bottom. They were all so good. And I remember coming in and facing one guy. I wanted to throw more and more and more. I'm like, please don't take me out. But I knew that possibly this was going to be my only batter and I we needed the out. Remember, I think I got him 0-2 pretty quick and threw an inside slider that he ended up popping up to third base. So I was like, awesome. We got out of it quick. You know, I'm fresh. And that was it for me that day. So it's whether I got to throw more or not was not really up to me. And it was fine. It was the matter that we won and that I did my job. We needed that guy to get out and we got him out. And that was kind of all that mattered. But coming back into the dugout, it was, hey, you're not going back out. Next guy is. Now it's my turn to, to be the cheerleader. I get to, you know, cheer for my team and, and pump them up and see what we can do. And it just all the cards fell 
fell you know, on our side and our guys did what they always do. And they battled every at bat and ended up scoring the runs that we needed to win. You end up winning that game by five runs coming yeah. back from a three run deficit. You go on to the College World Series finals after the Mississippi State victories. Um, let me skip ahead to obviously the in terms of the pitching news and the noteworthy events was undoubtedly game three and Kevin Abel going nine innings after pitching the day before. Can you describe as a pitcher, fellow pitcher with Kevin Abel and you're throwing bullpens with him and practicing and pitching alongside him from you know fall ball all the way through June of 2018. Can you describe his growth from earlier in the season compared to the end in Omaha? Yeah, I mean he just had he just had the game of his life at the right time and the right day, and it was the day that everything just fell you know fell mine for him. Honestly, uh, I remember uh, you know just as he would throw, he was getting more and more and more opportunity each time, and it was struggling and struggling. And then as we got to the postseason, he had a good quality, very good game against LSU. Then came into the College World Series and and did good, and it just kind of fell in line for him. All the cards just kind of landed perfectly for him during that time, and he was able to have you know the game of his life on, on game three, which was what we needed. So it could have been anybody at that time to come in, and he was the guy that that it landed on, and there was, I mean everything went perfectly that day. There's nothing more that could have been done and it fell for us. And I'm sure glad it did. When you came into game three and he'd already pitched a little bit at the end of game two, how much would you have expected him? How many innings did you think he was going to go when game three started? Um, so I was, I was a bit surprised that he was going to come in knowing that he threw the day before I had talked to my coaches, you know, that night and I'm like, I am ready to start. I'm like, I have started my whole life. I am ready to go put me in, let me do it. And uh, I just remember Nate texting me and he's like, we're going to go with Kevin. We're going to decide to go with Kevin. He's like, but just be ready. He's like, you're going to be a next guy. He's like, you need to be ready. I'm like, okay. And he came in and the first couple innings went by, I think it was the first two. And after the second inning, they called me down to the bullpen and were like, you need to get ready. I remember we got in a little bit of a tight situation towards the later part of the third. And they just said, okay, well, we're going to see how he does in the fourth. If he can make it out, great. You got the fifth, but you need to be hot because you're, you're our next guy coming in and you're going to take it from there. And I'm like, okay. And it was like, as soon as that happened, it was, you know, everything fell into play. Any ball that would get hit, it went right to somebody or was a perfect, you know, ground ball to someone or a line drive to somebody. And it was just everything literally went our way. And he was able to clean up their lineup and get them to roll over, pop up, anything. I mean, they were, they couldn't really do much of anything. Um, even anything that was, you know, hit good, we were making plays on. So it was like we had everything going for us and we played so well. It just felt different. Um, you know, we weren't nervous. We didn't play nervous. We didn't play scared. We just played like, Oregon State and everything was perfect for us that game you clearly wanted to not just be there but you wanted to get in the game you're asking to start you wanted to come in so as Kevin is continuing on and as surprising as it is that he didn't get pulled in the third didn't get pulled in the fourth oh he's still going the fifth the sixth the seventh all the way through the ninth was it difficult for you to realize hey our team's doing well but I wanted to pitch and apparently I'm not going to be able to come in. 
uh, you know, at that point, I, I honestly didn't care. I wanted to win that game for us. I could care less if I, you know, didn't throw it all as I was there. I was a reason that we made it there. Everybody was a reason that we made it there. And I had done what I did to kind of keep our guys uplifted. And I remember I stayed in the bullpen the whole time up until the ninth inning. And, you know, they're like, get ready, get ready, just stay ready. And it was to the point where I'm like, you know what? We were already, we're so close. I'm like, I'm not staying down here. I'm going down into the dugout. I'm like, if I have to, I'll sprint back, but I'm not going to. And the whole, oh, I wish I could have thrown never even hit in my head. Um, all I cared about was that we got the win for our team. And I was just beyond ecstatic. And I, I came in just kind of going, hey, we're going to win this game. Like, we're going to win the cultural series. And it never honestly was a thought in my head that, oh, I, you know, I really wanted to throw. I could care less whether I was throwing or not. I'm literally looking, going, we're going to win this game. And after the last pitch, was thrown and it was called strike three we I was freaking out I just remember running out there as fast as I could and was on the lower end of the dog pile and it was it was awesome it takes at least a sample of humility to let that go and and team camaraderie a passion for the team's success more than your own accolade so I respect that the other part of it was that as a national champion since you're from Southern Oregon, from Central Point, you're a native Oregonian, this is the school that you wanted to play for. What did it mean to win a national championship, not just for any school, but your school, your home state school, the one you'd always wanted to play for? It was so surreal, like just going to sit back and think that this is what I worked for. And not only just that I worked for it to get to the College World Series, just because that's what every kid wants. You know, they want to play, they want to play college, you know, college ball. They want to play pro ball. But like that college kid's dream is the College World Series. And not only did I get to go there, but it was with the team of my dreams. It was so surreal. And I was so honored that God blessed me to put me in that position and be with that team. And it was perfect in every every way that I could have even thought of. Yeah, it, it ended on the highest level, which kind of leads me into my last question, which is in terms of winning a national championship, it's only, you know, less than 1% of people in the world can say, I won the College World Series or it's equivalent in basketball or Super Bowls, whatever. I mean, in terms of national championships, it's a small number of people. So in terms of what that feels like, I'm sure in the dog pile, it was happiness and joy and bliss. And anyone watching on TV can see that. If you weren't happy, let me know. But it seems like everyone was happy. Yeah. So in the months afterwards and what it's meant in you know two years since then, is there something about achieving success at that high level that maybe once the TV cameras go away and we haven't you know, seeing you celebrating or talked with players from that team for two years. Is there something about after winning a national championship and how that affects you or lessons you learned or takeaways that people who haven't won a national title and only watch that on TV may not realize? You know, honestly, I think the guys that see that, oh, they're, they're just such a good team. They're so, you know, they're awesome. It's not only were, I mean, yes, we were, we were a great team, but we were a band of brothers and we did everything together and we were so close in every way it was it was a family that we went out there and we played as a unit we were we were family members there was not any time of the day that we weren't doing something uh, you know together and I know I was absolutely blessed to, to have the best house that I could have asked for uh, all my my best friends in that house 
still to this day, I'm always in touch with them. And I mean, we'd have family dinners together. You know, we would, we'd go out to the movies, you know, go out to dinner and hang out. It was, it was awesome just to see how close we were. And I, I don't think people truly see that. They just kind of take in a play. Oh, they're so good. You know, these guys are awesome. They got drafted. You know, that's why they win. It's like, honestly, a lot of the times the teams that, you know, it's not the best team that wins. It's the team that plays the best wins, which I've heard my coach say many times and completely agree with. And I'm just glad that I can be the small town kid that um, started super, super small, always the, the doubted one from humble, humble starts and work all the way up to something like that. And I hope that I'm able to inspire some people going, Hey, you know, he, started at every level people didn't think he'd make it anywhere he you know had to walk on he didn't get the scholarships and now look where he's at and I just hope to be kind of just inspiration to people and just try and and have people look up to me as best I can and and be a good example and how I act and what I do and you know I've had so much help along the way and people helping me not only coaches but my friends um, guys on the team that have all inspired me and have, have helped me to be kind of the player I am now. Well, you've got an uplifting and inspiring story to tell, and I hope there's many more moments the rest of your career that are similarly encouraging and fun to watch. So best of luck in the rest of your career with the Cardinals and wherever you may play and what comes after that. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been fun to talk with you, Dylan. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Really cool to hear from Dylan about what the College World Series was like, considering where he'd come from, from a community college to be pitching in Omaha, then to have a chance at pitching in Game 3 and expecting to, and having that taken away, yet also having the humility and lack of entitlement, I may say, to realize our team's success is the most important thing. And even if I don't pitch in Game 3, I'm just happy being a part of it. Really fun to talk with Dylan Pierce, and I hope you enjoy that as well and all the future baseball conversations and all the other sports represented on this podcast as well. Keep your eyes tuned for the 2018 Beaver Baseball National Championship documentary I'm producing using the interviews of all these players and some audio that you may not even find on these podcasts as well. So some exclusive stuff on top of that all. Stay tuned to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Until next time, good night and go Beavers.